When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Story time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the early 90s, when I was around 19, I worked night shifts unloading trucks at a retail department store in Oklahoma. This was before they transformed into superstores. One night, my coworker, who had been garnering attention for her distressed appearance, opened up to us during a break. She revealed that she had started taking a longer route to work and back due to something she had witnessed. Previously, she used to travel a road called Moccasin Trail. However, the week before, 
She claimed to have seen a massive werewolf while turning onto that road on her way to work. This encounter had occurred on four or five occasions, and it had left her visibly shaken. She expressed fear that the creature might start following her. As a result, she decided to completely avoid that road altogether. According to her description, when she turned onto Moccasin Trail, her headlights illuminated the embankment across the road just enough for her to see a large werewolf sitting about 30 feet up on the embankment. It would be sitting in the grass, with its legs stretched out in front, often leaning back and supporting itself on one or both of its elbows. It assumed a leisurely pose, seemingly watching the passing cars. Her account of the sighting conveyed a genuine sense of disturbance. Over the years, I've heard several stories about strange occurrences in that area. Local Native Americans even spoke of other shapeshifters in the vicinity. While I can't confirm a direct link between these stories and the werewolf sighting, it's worth mentioning the peculiar happenings reported by various individuals over time. I grew up on an acreage in a rough bush area in northern British Columbia. We worked really hard and were often in close proximity to all kinds of wildlife. I got my first rifle when I was 9 years old and hunted from that point on until recently. This happened to me 50 years ago when I was 14. I was in the habit of jumping on my motorbike riding 20 miles further back from the head of the road where we lived into the bush on old logging roads and then hiking 45 minutes through dense bush to my favorite fishing spot, Brewster Lake. I would like to go alone with just my dog. He always knew where I was going and would trot his way out by himself usually showing up about 30 minutes after I got there. We would usually spend two or three days there when we went. I didn't pack a lot of gear, my .22, hunting knife, sleeping bag, matches, fishing gear, frying pan and sometimes I would even remember to bring the salt and pepper since I never ever brought food in with me. Either I'd head back home and I couldn't stomach any more fish or if it was too wet, as I also never had a tent. I just slept under the stars of my sleeping bag. I had never even heard of Bigfoot. On this particular trip, it was in late August 1973, as mentioned, I didn't have a tent. Just my dog and I during my second night sleeping out under the stars, at around 2 to 3 a.m., I woke to the sound of something very large moving through the woods on two legs about 25 or 30 feet off to my right on the edge of the brush. I couldn't see anything because my fire was long out and it was overcast. I glanced around to see where my dog was. He was usually nearby me but was nowhere to be seen. My .22 was just off to my left and I had my hunting knife beside me inside the sleeping bag. I didn't think the .22 was going to be much help in the event of a big animal attack anyhow, so I left it where it was and slipped my knife out of its sheath inside my sleeping bag. I thought it must be a bear because what else could it be? I lay still hoping that whatever it was would leave me alone and move on but that wasn't in the cards. I was camping on a small rocky point between the ledge of the brush and the lake. It's about 30 feet wide. I was about in the middle between the lake edge and the bush. My feet were pointed mostly toward the lake at an angle with my head facing mostly toward the woods. I heard this thing moving around to the back of me. It came out of the brush and slowly moved up directly behind my head. 
As this was happening, I was preparing for the fight I thought was surely coming. So in my sleeping bag, I slowly shrugged my shoulders up as close to my ears as possible and moved my left hand and arm up over my throat to protect my neck. My right hand was on my chest with my knife tightly gripped and ready to go if something was going to eat me for lunch. It might be a cheap lunch but I was going to make sure it wasn't going to be a free lunch. I was sleeping with my head mostly covered by the top of my sleeping bag with just my eyes, nose, and mouth exposed to the night because of all the mosquitoes. Even though I was on mostly rock, I could feel the footsteps. I've never heard anything breathe so loudly. If you breathed in and out as long and hard as you could in an exaggerated way, it still wouldn't even come close. I swear I could feel the breath. I tell you, I was fully expecting I was going to get my face chomped. I remember thinking to myself, what the hell kind of bear is this? It stopped about three feet behind my head and that's when the smell hit me. I mean it was bad. I can't even describe it and in spite of my best intentions to be quiet, lay still, and hope it didn't mess with me, I couldn't help gagging and coughing. Now this part is very hard to explain and I don't give a crap if people believe me or not but at that point, I clearly heard a calm voice in my head telling me that I had nothing to worry about. I was perfectly safe and nothing was going to hurt me. I should relax and go back to sleep and right then I was overcome with a sense of calm and feeling extremely tired. I remember thinking to myself, what the hell, how can I go to sleep at a time like this? My visitor turned and started walking away from me and I fell right to sleep before it was even gone. I don't remember it leaving. I slept well and woke up at first light about 6 am to a cow moose up to its mid-belly in the water feeding on the lake bottom, not 25 feet from where I was laying. And my dog was back beside me. This messed with my head for a long time because it was not at all like a bear. It was definitely walking on two legs and the odor was unlike anything I've ever smelled. I couldn't make sense of it. I never talked to anyone about this until years later when I told my grown sons. I don't know that they believed me and I can't say I blamed them but at least they had the good sense to keep that to themselves. I'm from the era when if someone said they didn't believe you, that's the same as them calling you a liar and those are fighting with words. In spite of that, the experience never deterred me in the least from going back out and camping alone in the same area. The following story is written by Aryabird on No Sleep Reddit. Enjoy! Five years ago I became a park ranger. I won't include the location of this event. I don't want anyone seeking out the utter horrors I've seen in that forest. You think that you're prepared for whatever the forest might throw at you. You hear about the strange occurrences from other rangers, the missing persons cases, the unusual animals that are like nothing you've ever seen before. I was arrogant. I just blew off these stories the other more experienced rangers told me as nothing but paranoia or attempts to scare the new guy. But I was wrong. I was so very wrong. I had to tell this event to someone. To warn people of the things that are out there hiding in those deep woods. Just waiting for that bold individual to walk right into their clutches. This is the reason I will never return to that forest and now live in a large city. I avoid the forests that I used to love so much because I'm terrified of what I'll find in them. Or what will find me. 
Three months into my time as a park ranger it was the beginning of spring. For the past two weeks, we had been receiving strange reports from park visitors and a few fellow rangers. People had been seeing strange warped-looking animals wandering about the park. The animals sighted often looked thin with patches of missing hair, had completely white eyes, were gaunt and almost skeletal, and the proportions of the animals were said to just seem wrong. As if the animals were just not completely convincing copies of the animals they were supposed to be. Of course, most of us just assumed there was some sort of disease starting to affect animals in the park. There was an older park ranger, who'd started at the park a month before the sighting started, named Briggs who warned us that he'd seen this before. He was worried was insisting we should close up the park. He said that the animals were dangerous and a safety hazard to anyone inside the forest, but he wouldn't say any more than that. He just always looked haunted when he talked about those animals and said the forest wasn't safe anymore. Of course, we just wrote him off as being a cookie paranoid older guy who'd probably had some kind of traumatic wild animal attack experience. We didn't even entertain the possibility that he might be right. And our hubris would be our downfall. I still remember something Briggs said to me one day shortly before he quit working at the park. It always was weird to me that Briggs was so disturbed by these animal reports and looked so haunted when he talked about them. He was a big man in his late 70s, but he could have easily wiped the floor with any youngster who tried to step up to him. He was an ex-Navy SEAL and a tough and real smart son of a gun. I was surprised he was so superstitious and paranoid that we should close up the park when it just seemed like some outbreak of a disease among some of the wildlife. All in all, it didn't seem like a big deal at the time. Briggs wouldn't say specifically why he was so insistent on closing up the park. All he would say to me on the subject was, there are things in that forest you couldn't comprehend boy. Things that'll break a grown man in two like a twig. They're smart you know. We think we're the apex predator of this world, but we couldn't be more wrong. If you aren't afraid, you're a fool. They're coming out in droves and I don't know why. But I don't plan on being here to find out. I've seen the horrors of war sunny. And what I saw on the battlefield is nothing compared to what I've seen in that forest. Do the wise thing and listen to this old timer before it's too late. I just wrote off what Briggs told me. But now I wish I hadn't. If I could I would go back and change what I'd done, but it's too late now. And the horrors I saw will stick with me as long as I live. One week after Briggs warned us to close down the park he quit and left the park behind. He was the smart one. He knew what was coming and didn't want to be around when all hell broke loose. I saw a glimpse of one of those strange animals on one of my patrols within that week, but it just looked like a sick raccoon to me. I thought nothing of it and it was gone before I could attempt to catch it. But within five weeks of these sightings beginning, things had started to become stranger. We'd had 10 reports from park visitors of being attacked by these sickly looking animals. All of them had told us the same thing. The animals seemed intelligent now, like they were hunting them. They seemed intelligent, and they seemed angry. We were bewildered and unsure of what to make of the situation. We'd been trying to hunt down and put down the sick animals since the report started. We decided it was wiser to put down these animals to keep the sickness from spreading, but the animals remained elusive. 
The most any of us were able to do was catch occasional glimpses of them. But that all changed one night on the sixth week of the sightings. We'd also had 10 missing persons cases brought to our door within the past two weeks. Though we were unsure if this was attached to the sick animal sightings and were unable to find any traces of the missing people aside from some abandoned belongings and campsites. On a seemingly peaceful summer night, three of us were at the ranger's station on the overnight shift. It was myself, Hank a tough hulking man in his early 30s, and Lita a petite girl in her late teens who was interning at the park over the summer. We had increased employee presence in the park due to the strange animal behavior of the past two or so months. It was close to 10 at night when we had a hysterical young blonde woman rushing into the station. She was covered in dirt and scratches, her clothing in tatters. She looked wild, like someone who'd been lost in the forest for weeks. She was sobbing, babbling, and collapsed into the arms of Hank. I started to check her for and treat her injuries as we tried to calm the woman down enough for her to speak clearly. After an hour we managed to calm her down enough for her to be able to speak in somewhat coherent sentences. She was still hard to understand, but we managed to get the gist of what she had to say. The woman told us that she'd been camping in the park with her four friends. They'd set up camp in the morning and everything had seemed normal. But after the sun set things started to become strange. They started to hear odd noises coming from the forest and swore that they even heard talking. Though the voices sounded garbled and growled almost like someone who still wasn't completely sure how to form words. They'd started to feel on edge and had decided to leave first thing in the morning, but were too scared to venture out into the forest in the middle of the night with the strange noises they were hearing. She told us that after an hour of hearing the strange noises coming from the forest a stumbling and almost hairless sickly gaunt coyote with pure white eyes came out of the forest and started venturing into the clearing where they had set up camp. The coyote was making strange noises like it was in pain and the closer it got the easier it was for them to see that the coyote seemed off. She said that the coyote seemed just a little too long and too tall to be a coyote, like it had been stretched or something. As the coyote got closer her friend Trace got scared and decided to throw a rock at the coyote to scare it off. Instead of throwing the rock near the coyote he threw a fist-sized rock at the coyote and hit it square in the head. The rock hit the coyote and it collapsed to the ground. After the rock hit the coyote the forest seemed to go completely still almost like time had stopped. The only sounds the five of them could hear were their own terrified breathing and the crackling of the campfire. They thought Trace had killed the coyote. In the eerie silence, they could see that it wasn't breathing. But then the coyote's body jerked. Strange cracking noises could be heard from the coyote's body as it twitched and contorted. Its body changed into an almost humanoid shape as it rose up on two legs. The coyote bared its teeth at the five of them in a sneer and then opened its mouth. They heard the coyote speak two chilling words in a deep guttural voice feeding time. These two words seemed to send the forest into chaos as creatures of varying shapes and sizes swarmed from the tree line upon the five campers. Not all of the animals even seemed to look like animals or like anything the girl had ever seen before. The creatures dragged the five of them through the forest to a cave, dragging them inside into what seemed to be a dark and massive cave system. 
This is something I found strange considering that the only caves we had in this park were relatively small. There should have been nothing in that park like what this girl was describing. She told us that the animals dragged them into this cave system and trapped them in some kind of sticky wispy substance that seemed almost like spider webs but with the strength of thick rope. She said she could barely remember what happened after that since she couldn't see it all in the pitch black cave. All she could hear was the occasional screams of terror and pain from her friends and the squelching noises of what she knew was her friends being eaten. She wasn't sure how long she was in there. What she guessed was every few days one of them would be taken and fed upon by what she could only guess was the creatures that took them into the caves. The creatures also would force feed her water and food every so often. Though it was clear from her gaunt and emaciated figure they only fed her enough to keep her alive. She said she was fed some kind of mush she was never able to identify. Only that it tasted utterly foul and almost like something rotten. When it was finally her turn to be eaten she got lucky. She felt the threads that bound her being cut by what seemed to be some large claw or knife and then she crashed to the cave floor. In a panic, she managed to grab a large rock. She struck out in the darkness towards where she believed to be the thing that had cut her loose. She could tell she made contact with something and heard a growl of pain as the creature hit the ground. She didn't wait to figure out how much damage she'd done. She'd just run. She ran for what felt like hours. She could hear the sounds of growls and what seemed like garbled speech she couldn't understand all around her, but somehow she managed to avoid the creatures who were hunting for her. She managed to escape the cave system and just ran blindly through the forest in the dark until she found the ranger station. After finishing the story she just burst into sobs and begged us to protect her from the monsters that she thought were still chasing her. We realized, after hearing her story, that she was part of a group of five campers who'd gone missing in the forest two weeks earlier. It was a group of college students who'd come to the park on summer break, but after the first day of their camping trip their families and friends had stopped hearing from them. After three days of no contact from the students, we'd been notified that these campers were to be considered officially missing. We'd been contacted by the families even earlier than that and had run some preliminary searches but, like the five other missing persons that had cropped up in the past two weeks, we'd only found an abandoned campsite and belongings from the campers. After some closer inspection of the girl and some coaxing for her name, we managed to identify her as one of the two missing girls, Abigail. At the time we believed that Abigail and her friends were likely drugged and attacked by some dangerous individuals in the forest. It was easier to think that Abigail had just crafted this unbelievable narrative as a way to comprehend what happened to her while she was kept heavily drugged and docile. After all, what sane and reasonable person could honestly believe the wild tale Abigail had spun? We left Abigail to eat and discussed amongst the three of us for a bit about what to do with her. We were quick to decide that the best course of action was to notify law enforcement that we'd found Abigail and that there were likely a group of dangerous individuals currently residing in the park. The three of us felt very disconcerted after hearing Abigail's story, but knew that we couldn't very well abandon our post in the early hours of our shift. At that point, we all just wanted to get Abigail somewhere safe and really wanted to leave the park, even though we couldn't. First I tried to call the police through the office phone, but the line was dead. 
That far out in the middle of nowhere phone service can be notoriously unreliable, so our mobiles couldn't be used to call the police either. The office phones were really our only way to contact the outside world unless we felt like wandering about until we managed to possibly get a bar of service. With the phone lines down we just decided to shut down for the night and take Abigail to the police station ourselves. As we were gathering our things and shutting off the lights for the night we all moved with a mutual sense of urgency. Human instinct is a powerful thing and at that moment all of us seemed to sense that something was wrong. Suddenly Abigail started screaming loud enough that I was sure she could actually crack the windows. She started pointing towards the window straight across from the couch she sat on and screeching, It's here. They're here. You have to help me. They're coming for me. Initially, I thought that the girl was just hysterical. That was until I saw it. The thing was exactly like Abigail had described. It was a too tall bipedal thing with gangly but muscled limbs and a patchy furred body. It had to be at least 8 feet tall with the way its torso was the only part initially visible when I looked out the window. Then it crouched down and tapped a clawed hand on the glass. It had the head of a coyote with those milky white eyes. It grinned and let out a growl. Come out. It purred in a gravelly sing-song voice. Abigail screamed and backpedaled away from the window, hiding behind and latching onto Hank while yelling that we needed to escape and begging us not to let them take her. I was frozen in fear. I was in no way equipped to handle this. I was just an average guy from Iowa with no special skills to speak of besides being decently athletic with an encyclopedic knowledge of the outdoors. The only thing I could do at that moment was stand frozen and staring in horror at the thing peering at us through the window and chuckling at our terrified faces. Surprisingly, what snapped me out of my shell-shocked state was Lita. She was the only one out of us who didn't look scared. Instead, she looked angry. She smacked me across the face hard enough to leave my ears ringing. Then she proceeded to do the same with Hank. Hank and I shared mirrored surprised expressions that Lita was so quick to action, and that her small form could hit that hard. Get your shit together. You all need to get the hell out of here, Lita yelled at the three of us. She then proceeded to remove a black pistol from her pastel blue backpack. A multitude of questions were rushing through my mind. At the top of that list was wanting to know what the hell that thing outside was and right below that was bewilderment at Lita's 180 shift from a bubbly perky teenager to acting like some battle-hardened veteran. I didn't have much time to spend on these musings however as we heard the window crack. The coyote thing had placed a hard punch to the window that had caused it to fracture. One more good hit would surely shatter it. Then Lita raised her gun and fired. The bullet shattered the window and sent the coyote crashing back to the ground. Hurry. Get to Hank's truck. And get your guns, Lydia yelled. Hank and I already had our shotguns out and ready due to the reports of animal attacks. So we were able to snatch them up quickly as Lydia took the lead to head for the front door. Abigail continued to stick close to Hank silently with wide terrified eyes as we moved cautiously for the door. Lita threw open the door and I was shocked at what we were faced with. There were at least 30 of those warped animals we'd heard so much about. And at the head of them was the coyote with a now missing left arm and the shoulder stump looking like it had healed over years ago. 
The coyote was the only one to be in a bipedal form. The other animals looked warped in various shapes and sizes, some being recognizable animals and others simply looking like horrifying beasts I had never seen before. The only thing they all had in common was those white eyes. The coyote snarled and seemed to focus its attention on Lita. You'll pay for that. It growled out. Lita sneered at the coyote in response. Shove it you overgrown fleabag. She shot back as she reached into her backpack and produced a flare which she was quick to light and hold out in front of her. The creatures recoiled at the light and the coyote let out a deep unearthly growl. She hurled the flare into the crowd of animals and they scattered with unnatural speed back from the flare. Go, Lydia yelled and the four of us made a break for it to the parking lot while we had the opening. Lydia took the lead, taking a shot at any of the creatures who tried to leap at us as we ran. Her bullet seemed to have a strange effect on the creatures. The moment they hit black liquid bubbled up from the injuries and the things would screech in pain as their bodies seemed to start to dissolve into that black liquid. Hank and I took a few shots at the things, but our bullets didn't seem to do much more than knock the creatures back briefly. When we did get to the truck we all quickly piled in with Hank in the driver's seat and he gunned it towards the exit to the park right after the engine roared to life. I let out a breath of relief as I thought we were home free. Don't start relaxing. We're not out of the woods yet, Lita scolded me and then offered a hint of a smirk at the terrible joke she'd made. I looked at her in disbelief for a moment before an uneasy chuckle escaped from Hank and me, appreciating her attempt at calming the three of us at least. Lita's smirk quickly faded as she focused her attention on the blurred view of the forest outside the car as Hank sped along the road. So, who the hell are you? Hank asked as he kept his eyes focused on the road. But it was clear the question was meant for Lita. It was an unspoken question that had been hanging in the air ever since Lita jumped into action to deal with that coyote thing back in the ranger station. I'll tell you what Hank, I'll give you a nice lengthy explanation after we're out of the forest full of things itching to get at us. Sound good? She responded flatly. Hank gave a sigh in response. Fine fine. Fair enough. Do you at least know what those things are? He pressed. Yes, Lita said shortly. Then she sighed heavily. All you need to know is that they're really hard to kill and that if you want to bring them down you'd better aim for the vitals. They won't stop moving until their bodies are completely destroyed. Their eyes are sensitive to light and they'll naturally flee from it. Fire also does a nice job of doing heavy damage to them. You manage to engulf one in flames and they'll go up like a bonfire doused in gasoline. But get back quick before they explode unless you want to go smelling like roadkill that won't wear off for weeks. Exception to the flame rule is that coyote thing. Fire'll hurt it, but it's not enough to kill it. If something fs up you leave me to deal with the coyote while you all focus on escaping. The coyote gets taken out and the animals will stop attacking. They'll still be those things, but they won't be coordinated anymore. So it'll give you all the opening you need to get out. She explained. I stared at Lita with wide eyes, wondering how exactly it was she knew all this. I could tell Hank was wondering the same thing. But it was clear this was all Lita was willing to tell us at the moment. Abigail remained quiet in the back seat with me. She was just staring out the window with wide vacant eyes. 
Not that I could blame her after all she'd been through. I guess she just needed time to process everything. Before I could speak up and ask Abigail anything I heard a loud metallic crunch and then we were airborne. I caught a flash of brown fur before the truck tumbled off the road, rolled down a steep hill, and came to a rest on its roof, having been stopped by a large pine tree. I sat suspended in the air by my seatbelt with my ears ringing and my body trying to process the shock of the crash. I was snapped out of my dazed state by Lita cursing loudly. Shit. The truck is messed. She huffed out as she unclicked her seatbelt and crashed to the roof of the car. Is everybody okay? She asked as she shifted to look at the rest of us. Lita had a deep cut on her right cheek and forearm with some various cuts and bruises scattered across her form as well, but she seemed mostly unharmed. I'm okay, I think. I choked out before undoing my seatbelt as well and hitting the roof of the car with a pain grunt. Aside from some cuts and being sore as hell I was fine as far as I could tell. Hank was similarly mostly unharmed aside from a thick bit of glass that had gotten stuck in his left bicep, but that was able to be quickly tended to by Lita by taking the glass out and tearing off a bit of his sleeve to tie around the wound. Abigail appeared to have passed out from the crash. She had a few deep gashes on her forearms and some smaller scratches, but otherwise, she seemed unharmed. However, she was unconscious and it was difficult to assess how she really was until she woke up. Something odd I noticed about her that I wish I had paid more attention to was that her blood looked almost black. But I just assumed I was seeing things because of the poor lighting and already being very on edge. Hank and I gently removed Abigail from the wreckage of the truck while Lita surveyed the damage and tried to figure out exactly where we were. The truck was an absolute wreck. The passenger side had collapsed inward like something heavy had made impact with it and the resulting roll down the hill and crash into the pine tree had completely totaled the truck. We were lucky the truck was as sturdy as it was or we would have surely walked away with worse injuries than we had. We'll have to continue on foot from here, Lita said before placing a hand over Abigail's mouth and giving her a hard smack to the cheek to see if she could wake her. Abigail woke with a start but her resulting scream was muffled by Lita's hand over her mouth. Once Abigail took in her surroundings Lita tore the sleeves off her own shirt and used the cloth to treat Abigail's wounds on her forearms. Come on, we need to get Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Moving before they catch up with us. She barked. The three of us followed behind Lita with Abigail and between the three of us considering her unarmed and mostly unresponsive state. We all moved at a brisk walking pace, sticking to the shadows of the tree line, but never completely leaving the view of the road just in case a car happened to come by. For a while, we were able to continue on without interruption. The forest was almost completely quiet, not even a sound from an insect could be heard. The only sounds we could hear were the occasional howl or growl in the distance and the sounds of our footsteps and heavy breaths. Despite the terrors of the night, this was perhaps one of the most terrifying parts to me. That utter quiet and the sense that at any moment one of those things could rush from the forest to do who knows what. Then the silence was broken as a thing that resembled a large deformed porcupine the size of a wolf rushed at us from the underbrush. Lita fired off a bullet into the creature's chest before it could make contact and it screeched and quickly started to dissolve as it writhed on the ground. Then the sounds of more growls and rushing footsteps could be heard as reinforcements rushed towards the area, attracted by the gunshot and the screeches of pain from the porcupine-like creature. Run, Lita yelled before breaking off into a sprint. The three of us quickly followed with Abigail pulling ahead of Hank and myself despite her frail condition. She had enough sense to at least not run out ahead of Lita, but her swift movements were startling. At the time I chalked it up to adrenaline. We ran with the sounds of those creatures pursuing us filling the forest around us. Lita, Hank, and I fired off the occasional shot when one of the things tried to jump at us from the forest, but we managed to keep ahead of the creatures. Or, that's what we thought anyway. As we emerged out into a large clearing the moonlight illuminated the coyote who seemed to be even larger than the last time we'd seen it. Though its left arm was still missing. Behind it stood a large half-circle of those creatures of numbers of at least fifty who all stood waiting, hissing and snarling as if they desired nothing but to charge and tear us apart. Lita didn't hesitate to raise her gun and take a shot at the coyote, but when she did all that sounded was an empty click. She was out of bullets. Shit, she said softly under her breath, quickly reaching to the side pocket of her backpack as if reaching for more ammo. Before she could reach the side pocket a squirrel-like thing the size of a large dog came crashing down from the tree above and smacked into her back. Lita cursed as she struggled against the creature, but it held firm. Hank raised his shotgun to try and shoot the squirrel creature off of Lita, but as he made that move he was knocked to the ground by the small frail form of Abigail. She had landed a hard elbow to his ribs that caused a loud crunch. Hank groaned in pain as he instinctively curled into himself and Abigail took that opportunity to pin him to the ground on his stomach with a two wide grin settling on her features that showed sharp teeth. Her eyes were white now like all those other things. As she held him her body started twisting and crunching as her limbs grew longer and distorted with her skin taking on a papery white shade with a grey tinge. 
She bit into the side of Hank's neck and he let out a pained gurgled sound as she took a chunk out of the side of his neck. Damn it. Hank, Lydia yelled as she struggled still against her captor. Then she looked at me with an intense gaze. Get out of here, she roared with a tinge of desperation in her voice. In that moment my survival instincts took over and I listened. It was as if my body went on autopilot while my mind raced. I thought that I couldn't just leave Lita and Hank behind. I had to stay and try to save them. But even as I thought this I kept running like my body had a will of its own separate from my mind. I tore through the forest, everything fading into a blur as I just focused on what was ahead of me. I don't know how long I ran for, but eventually I felt something heavy crash into me. I hit the ground roughly and felt the wind get knocked out of me. I briefly saw the shattered outline of a hulking figure before I fell unconscious from the hard impact. I did have to split this into two parts because what I wrote was too long to put into one. I couldn't bear to cut away anything. This is all important. You all need to know what happened. Part 2. Unfortunately I was cut short in my post yesterday, but I'm happy to be able to relay the rest of this to all of you before I get out on the road. When I woke up everything was still dark. I wondered if I was even still alive. All I knew was that it was dark and I couldn't move. Then I heard a groan from nearby. Ah shit. I heard Lita's voice say softly before I heard a slight rustling like someone was struggling. Lita? I croaked out in question and I heard a gasp from nearby. Thank goodness, you're still alive. She breathed. Then she let out a more frustrated sound but that means they caught you. Look, I have a plan to get us out of here, but you need to do exactly what I say if you want to survive this, she said in a hushed tone. What about Hank? I whispered back and Lita was quiet for a long moment before she spoke up again. Hank's beyond saving now. You, you don't want to know. Trust me, she said with a pained whisper. Now stop talking. You don't want them knowing you're awake and whatever you do. Don't let them feed you anything, she said with a renewally steeled tone. I did as I was told and shut up after that. I don't know how long we stayed in that darkness. I could feel myself suspended in the air and completely unable to move. It felt like I was wrapped up in some kind of cocoon made of a sticky substance similar to that of a spider's web. It was exactly the same conditions that Abigail had described in her story. The only sounds I heard all that time were an occasional shuffling, which I assumed to be Lita, and the distant sound of footsteps and soft growls. After what could have been hours or even days of just staying silent in that oppressive darkness I heard a ripping noise, and then a loud thunk and a grunt. I wanted to speak, but remembered Lita's words and forced myself to remain quiet. I just waited and hoped that that was the sound of Lita escaping. I heard footsteps approaching me and held my breath while attempting to press myself back against the stone wall behind me on a deep-rooted instinct to cringe away from the unknown thing that approached. Then I heard a ripping noise shortly before my bindings gave way and I went crashing unceremoniously to the rock floor below. While I lay there with the wind knocked out of me litter ripped the sticky bindings away from me and I quickly scrambled to my feet. You're going to have to trust me. Stay close to me and I'll get you out of here, Lita whispered in my ear. I nodded before realizing she couldn't see me in the pitch darkness and instead whispered back. Okay. 
It was all I could think to say at that moment. I heard a strange crunching noise and then Lita grabbed my hand and started to swiftly lead me along as if she was able to see where she was going. I noticed that her nails felt sharper than before as she held tight to my hand. I felt fear bubble up as I wondered if she was becoming something like what Abigail had turned into. But I forced myself to bury that fear. Right then, Lita was my only chance of making it out of that place. I had to trust her. I didn't have any other option. We moved through the darkness for what seemed like forever. We seemed to be moving through some sort of massive tunnel or cave network like the one from Abigail's story. We would mostly move with hurried steps, but on various occasions Lita would stop me and pull me into little crevices or side tunnels when the sounds of footsteps neared us. Then after the footsteps faded we would continue on our way again. I began to wonder if we would just be wandering this cave network until we finally just collapsed. I could already feel the hunger, dehydration, and exhaustion gnawing at me. But I kept pace with Lita, forcing myself to keep walking even when it felt like my legs were turning to stone. Then I finally saw a beautiful sight. There was light streaming into the stony area about 15 feet ahead of us after we'd turned a corner. As we drew closer to the light I could see that it was moonlight streaming into a large hole of some sort that looked to have been dug by massive claws. The hole was roughly 5 feet above us and led into some kind of tunnel to the surface. I felt my heart sink as I realized there was no way we could reach the hole to escape through it. We would have to continue on back into the darkness. I'll boost you up to the edge of the hole. Do you think you can pull yourself out? Lita spoke up as I let myself fall into a crestfallen state. I looked at Lita's petite five-foot form in bewilderment. I felt my eyes widen as I was finally able to take in her appearance. Lita's form had changed. She had grown more muscled and she looked practically feral. Her short black hair was wild and she was covered in dirt, but she looked uninjured despite her dirty appearance and very torn bloodstained clothing. Her nails had turned to claws and when she spoke I could see her teeth had changed to sharpened points. When I finally met her eyes they were no longer that piercing hazel green they had been. Now her pupils had changed to slits and her eyes were a glowing gold shade. I instinctively took a few steps back from her as I took in her inhuman features and she firmly grabbed my wrist. Now isn't the time. I told you. If you want to make it out of this you're going to have to trust me she said firmly. I slowly nodded and she released me in return. Then she laced her fingers together and placed her palms upward to allow me to step on them so she could lift me to the hole. I complied and she lifted me with surprising ease. I dug my fingers into the dirt and scrabbled my way up through the hole and out into the forest above. I collapsed onto the ground on my back, taking in deep lungfuls of air for a moment and let out a short laugh of relief to be away from that horrid darkness. Then I remembered Lita. I looked down through the hole that appeared to be an animal burrow hidden beneath a large thick bush from the outside. Lita looked up at me with glowing golden orbs before she jumped upwards and dug her clawed hands into the dirt. I grabbed her hands and helped pull her out of the hole. Though I'm not entirely sure she needed my help at all. Once we were both out in the forest Lita held a hand up when she saw me about to speak. No questions. Not until we're out of here. Don't talk. Just follow and do what I say. 
that's how you're going to make it to see the sunrise, she said in a voice that left no room for argument. I just nodded in response to show her I understood. She nodded back and then we were off. The forest was still as strangely quiet as it was when we were captured and I wondered if it was even the same night anymore. I had no idea how many days had passed since we had taken down into the cave network. We could have been down in that cave system for days for all I knew. We just walked in silence as the moon moved across the sky. I didn't ask where we were going. All I knew to do at that point was follow Lita and hope that she had a plan. Lita seemed to tense some as we walked, but she said nothing beyond making a circular upward motion with her hand that I took to mean as be on your guard. You're quite the clever little girl. Such a shame that you chose the wrong side of this war. A deep rumbling voice spoke that seemed to echo around us. Lita let out a soft growl in response. Yeah? If you're so upset about it then why not come and handle me yourself? Unless you're too scared to face me directly. You seem chicken shit with the way you're having all your lackeys do the fighting for you. She barked back which earned cold laughter from the voice which I assumed to belong to the coyote since it was the only one of the creatures I had heard actually speak up to that point. Then a dark shape seemed to emerge from a nearby oak tree that quickly shifted and took the form of that coyote I was beginning to grow familiar with seeing. It was grinning at us with its head cocked to the side ever so slightly as if it were amused. As you wish, he said before he rushed at us with alarming speed. Lita was backhanded hard enough that she went flying through a number of trees which crashed to the ground as Lita skidded to a stop on all fours roughly 30 feet away. The deep gouges in her forearms she'd gotten from the coyote's claws were already healing as she charged at the coyote. The coyote let out a roar that was mixed with laughter as Lita charged at it as if it were relishing the challenge that had been presented to it. The ensuing fight was one I only caught glimpses of as I attempted to distance myself from the two. I saw glimpses of Lita savagely tearing into the coyote and drawing inky black blood from the thing with each hit. She was superhumanly strong with the way she was able to send the coyote flying. It had grown to be at least twice her size by that point with a far more muscled figure than its previously gaunt form. The fight between the two seemed as if it would never end as they destroyed the forest around them. Every time the two dealt injuries to the other they would heal almost as fast as they were given. Trees felled around the two and slowly their battle zone was changed more into a clearing filled with jagged stumps and fallen trees. Despite Lita's strength she still seemed out of her league against the coyote. As fast as she was able to heal the coyote still dealt more damage than Lita and seemed to land attacks on her far more often than she did to it. And yet she never seemed to tire or give up. She just looked at the coyote with this deep-seated rage as she stubbornly continued to battle it. I stayed hidden behind a large rock on a small cleave near their battlefield. I should have run, but I just couldn't as I watched in horror, and yet almost wonder, as the two superhuman entities clashed. I just silently hoped their fight would not come near to me as I knew I would only get in the way or get hurt in this battle between two things who were far beyond the strength of a normal person like me. I could already see Lita was facing a challenge against the coyote with it only having one arm and I wondered just how dangerous would this thing be without that handicap. Then I quickly pushed the thought away as I felt panic overtaking me at that idea. Whatever the hell this thing was. 
It was a monster of overwhelming strength that I could still barely fathom the existence of. Finally the coyote got the upper hand, if you could even really call the hulking patchy furred thing a coyote anymore. It managed to pin Lita to the ground with its massive clawed hand holding her down by her throat and upper chest. Lita choked and gagged as she clawed and kicked at the coyote's arm, and it just laughed at her struggling even with her claws tearing chunks from its arm. I felt panic build up in my chest at the sight. I felt as if I had to do something to help Lita, but I had no idea what I could do. If Lita wasn't able to stop that thing there was no way I stood a chance. But I decided that I couldn't leave Lita to just perish at the hands of this thing. I'd already lost Hank. I couldn't just stand by and lose her too. I picked up a heavy rock from the ground nearby and attempted to stealthily approach the coyote while its attention was focused on Lita. You make such delicious prey little girl. Such a shame that you didn't last longer. It has been so long since I've been provided such a challenge. My compliments. Even your mother wasn't quite so strong as you. But alas, you'll suffer the same fate as she did. The coyote hummed with glee while Lita glared up at it with seething hatred in her expression. I'll kill you. She snarled back in a choked gasping voice as she more viciously attempted to struggle loose from the grip of the thing. Ah, still so spirited. I'm sure that fire in you will only make you an even more delectable morsel. The coyote chuckled, simply seeming amused by Lita's fury. The coyote opened its jaws wide as its face split into four even pieces and opened like horrific flower petals to reveal a large black maw lined with white needle-sharp teeth and out from its throat flickered a deep red tongue reminiscent of a massive octopus tentacle lined with suckers that had silver spikes at the centers. I rushed forwards to hurl the rock right at the head of the creature and hopefully distract it long enough to let Lita get loose. The thing closed in as if aiming to bite into Lita with its monstrous mouth. I felt a sinking in my chest. I was too late. Even with Lita's astounding healing abilities, there was no way she could survive her head being bitten off. But then the thing's chest exploded in black gore as a loud bang sounded throughout the forest. Its body was soon torn apart by more explosions as more loud bangs filled the forest. Lita bolted to her feet as the creature's body started to dissolve into that black liquid I had seen the other things dissolve into. Its head flopped to the ground and changed back to the more coyote-like shape. Somehow it spoke even with its head now being the only solid piece of it left. This. Isn't. Over, it hissed out. You haven't seen the last of. Me. We will have. Our victory, it gasped. Then its head exploded in another burst of gore and all that was left of the beast was puddles of black goo that quickly dried and floated up into the air in little black flecks as the sky started to change with the first shades of dawn. I felt the rock drop from my hands as a familiar voice spoke from the edge of the tree line. You sure made quite a mess here huh? I turned and couldn't believe my eyes. Their brig stood with a shotgun in hand and a proud grin present on his face. Lita gave Briggs a withering look in response. Took you long enough grandpa. Those damn reinforcements you promised were almost too late. We lost some good people while you jackasses sat around with your thumbs up your asses, she scolded the older man. 
I felt my mind begin to swim as I tried to process all the events that had transpired over the course of the terrifying affair. As I tried to take in the scene in front of me of the heated back and forth between Lita and Briggs all their voices sounded like to me were faraway echoes. Blackness started to form at the edges of my vision. And then I fell unconscious. When I woke up I was in a hospital in the nearest city to the state park. I was told I'd been transported to the hospital from a clinic in the nearby town to the state park. According to the hospital staff I had been brought in with deep gashes, dehydrated, and emaciated. I'd apparently woken up and spoken deliriously of monstrous animals attacking. So it was assumed I'd been attacked by either a bear or wildcat, based on my injuries, and had become lost in the forest for days before eventually being discovered by two hikers. At first, I attempted to argue and recount what really happened, but I quickly figured out that the hospital staff just assumed I was still delirious. They weren't going to believe me. I did discover that it had been a week and a half since the night that those things first attacked. After I was discharged from the hospital I immediately quit my job at the state park. My supervisors didn't ask any questions. I saw that a missing persons report had been filed for Hank, but no law enforcement ever questioned me about what happened at the state park. In fact, there was never any reports at all of what happened in the park that night. And after that night the strange animal sightings in the park just fizzled off soon after. I thought about going to the police and telling them my story about what happened, but I knew that they would just ignore what I said. After all, who would believe such a strange story? I hadn't believed Abigail at first. Surely no one would believe me either. Since then I've moved across the country to a large city in an arid climate full of flatlands and desert. I want to be far away from any forest. I know that the media and law enforcement won't believe my story, but I recently heard about this subreddit from my girlfriend. She's the only one I've told this story to since then. She's the only one who believes me. She encouraged that I post this here. I think she hopes it will be therapeutic for me. But I decided to post this story because I want to warn anyone who will listen. Watch out for the forests. There are things out in those deep woods far beyond human comprehension. Whatever I saw in that forest, I have no doubt there's more out there. I remember what it said to Lita. It mentioned a war. It said it would come back. The people that go missing out in the forests, the strange things that happen, maybe there really isn't a logical explanation for all of it. So if you start to see animals that look wrong with those white eyes in a forest, get out while you still have the chance, or they might just come for you next. I hope that my tale will serve as a warning to all of you who choose to listen to it. I haven't seen Lita or Briggs since that night. And I can only hope they're doing well wherever they are. While I still wonder what those things are that attacked that night. I'm too scared to really go looking for the answers I want. As far as I'm concerned. I hope I never have to step into another forest again. But another part of me has started to become less scared over the years. I feel angry for all the horrors those things brought on. They killed innocent and good people like those college kids and Hank. I want to know what they are. And I want to stop them. There's a state park a few hundred miles from me and I've seen increasing reports of animal attacks and missing persons there lately. Maybe I should go there and warn them before things go too far. Edit.
I sat on the story I wrote for a week. I wasn't sure whether to post it or not after giving it more thought. Yesterday, I got a visit from someone I never thought I'd see again. I heard a knock on my apartment door and before me stood Lita. She didn't look like she'd aged a day since the last time I saw her. She looked like how she had when I first met her. Canned caramel skin, piercing hazel green eyes, a petite figure, five foot nothing, and jet black hair. The only difference was that her hair had grown down to her waist and was tied back in a messy braid. She looked up at me with that intense expression of hers before offering me an amused smile. We need to talk, she said simply. Of course, I let her in. She just waltzed into my apartment like she owned the place and took a seat on my couch. Nice place you've got. A little plain. But you were always kind of a basic guy huh? She said casually as she surveyed my apartment while I stared at her in disbelief. Then she motioned for me to take a seat in the armchair across from her. In dumbfounded silence, I just did what she said. She's surprisingly good at getting others to follow her commands. That small figure just seems to exude authority when she wants it to. Well, I did promise you I'd explain everything. And, I'm finally here to uphold that promise. After I explain. I've got a favor to ask, she said. I just stared at her in response for a long moment before finally just sputtering a stuttered okay, Lita laughed. Always so good with words huh Jack? She teased. That's my name by the way. Lita continued on to first tell me that her name isn't actually Lita. Navina is her name. So Lita, now Navina, continued on to explain just what happened in the forest that night. And just who she really is. According to Navina, she comes from a long line of monster hunters. What we encountered in the forest five years ago was a parasitic species that can take over organic creatures that are controlled by one hive mind which, in this case, had taken the form of that coyote. They come from another world and showed up on Earth about 200 years ago. They're a species that tries to colonize worlds and consume whatever they get in contact with. But, Navina's group has been able to keep them at bay. They've taken to calling the species Webbers since they trap their victims in that spider web-like substance and the parasite looks somewhat like a spider when removed from the host. And yes, Navina and I agreed the name wasn't the best. But it's what stuck. The Weber is a much larger creature that separates itself into smaller creatures which will then take over a host. They believe there are multiple Webbers from whatever world it is they come from, but they don't know how many. They also don't actually know how the Webbers get here. Thus far there are five Webbers who have attempted to invade Earth and only one of them has made repeat attempts. There have been 15 invasion attempts in the last 200 years. Whether that means they killed the other Webbers when they stopped them, they don't know. They just know this one particular Webber they've taken to calling Ba, for big asshole Webber, is the one who keeps coming back. Navina says that her people need to start coming up with better names. The Webbers will take one primary host body on Earth and then extend their control outwards into other creatures by trapping them and feeding them its black blood so that the body becomes suitable for habitation. Then they will eventually turn into the warped creatures I saw five years ago. 
I angrily asked Navina why she didn't warn Hank and me about Abigail then and she just sadly stated that she couldn't alert the Weber that she was onto its game. She thought maybe there was still time to save Abigail since there have been cases where people in the process of becoming hosts have been able to be saved. She regretted what happened to Hank and that she couldn't save him. She explained that night was a train wreck and that she was supposed to have reinforcements come much earlier, but due to extenuating circumstances they hadn't been able to arrive on time. Navina explained that her mother had been killed by the same Weber she fought that night. Then she proceeded to nonchalantly drop that she was able to fight Ba so efficiently because she's not human. No, in fact she's a half-demon. She had to use a spell that suppressed her demonic abilities while she worked at the state park so Ba wouldn't detect her and the effects of the spell had finally worn off when we were trapped in the cave system. She only laughed at my dumbstruck expression, shrugged, and said that her mom had weird and kind of shitty tastes since her dad had never really been around anyway. She'd been raised mostly by her grandpa, who was in fact Briggs. Surprise surprise, that's not his real name either. So the man, who was really named Bristian, left weeks earlier to get enough reinforcements to come back and deal with Ba when the signs had started showing up that another invasion was coming. But, as you all already know, he didn't get back until everything had already gone to shit. If I ever see him again he and I have some things to talk about. Navina explained to me that not only are there Webbers, demons, and magic. Apparently, there's a good many things that are real, like vampires, werewolves, angels, fae, and dragons. Among many other things. I'll really need to ask her more about that later. She sped over that whole point as she explained that her organization were people who kept the peace and stopped the bad guys who threatened the balance as she calls it. Can't say their name unfortunately. Top secret and all that. She tells me that her group in the organization is looking for new members. They need reinforcements since it's looking like that state park I've noticed may be the site of a new invasion. Well, I'll cut to the chase. I said yes. I've got an opportunity to do something against those bastards and do some good. So, I'm going to take it. Navina's standing behind me now while I write this. She's very amused by how I describe her. She's also told me to stop treating her like a kid since she's over a hundred years old. That leaves me with a lot more questions I need to ask her later. But I've got a lot I'm still trying to process. So, one step at a time there. Agreeing to join this organization means that I'm leaving everything behind now. I don't like the idea of leaving my girlfriend behind, but I know she wouldn't understand all of this or why I feel I need to help Navina and her people. After I finish writing this I'll be packing my things and making what preparations I need before I set out with Navina. My parting words to all of you are to be vigilant. There are many strange things in this world that we write off as nothing but fantasy. But what many of us forget is that there are many things we don't know about this world. Better to keep a watchful eye than be caught off guard if you do encounter something hidden from the majority of the world. With that, I thank you all for reading my story and I hope that you heed its warnings. What happened in that park to the people like Hank and Abigail was a tragedy. Hopefully I can do something to now save people like them. Best regards and signing off, Jack. 
Perhaps I'll be making another report here one day to warn you all of more of those strange things that exist in this world so often unseen by the masses.